know about you, but do you ever read scripture and find yourself frustrated because it seems like the story just stopped in the middle? I mean, for four weeks now, we have been looking at the story of the prodigal son. Over that, we've realized that our deepest longings won't be satisfied until we find our way back to God. We've been reminded that no matter how far we've wandered away, we can still come home. We understand that our moments of deepest pain are where God's love shines brightest. And we rejoice that we have a heavenly father who loves us, not as we should be, but as we are. But we've come in this story, and if you know the story, the son took his father's money, wasted it, ends up jobless, homeless, comes home. The father welcomes him home, has a big party, right? And so that's where the story kind of, that's where we left off last week. The son comes home, turns out the, other, the older brother finds out that the younger brother came home. He's wasted all dad's money. Well, he's not happy, right? So he's all cranky. So dad has to go out and talk to him. And he's like, listen, everything I've got is yours. And the story ends, right? I have questions. It's like Cobra Kai, so if you're a child of the 80s, you know what this is. It's a TV show that is on Netflix. They have two seasons. If you've not watched it, uh, you should go watch it. It has bad language, but you should still go watch it. It's Daniel LaRusso from Karate Kid, all grown up. And he's now a car salesman. And Johnny is still there, the kid who picked on him in high school. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to get along. And they have two seasons, and I am hooked. And at the end of season two, I'm going to spoiler alert so you can put your fingers in your ears or mute your TV if you don't want to listen to it. I want to know, is Miguel going to be able to walk again? Is Robbie going to jail? Will Johnny and Daniel actually work together? I mean, I'm dying here. What's going to happen? But I feel the same way when I read Jesus' story, the prodigal son. I mean, nice cliffhanger, Jesus. I get it. I'm hooked. It's season one. When does season two come out? How's the other, older brother actually respond to his father's correction? Who got invited to the party? I love food. What'd they eat? Do the brothers actually truly fix their relationship or do they just play nice until dad dies and then the whole thing falls apart again? Right? Like, what do the Pharisees who are listening to this story, the religious leaders of that time, think about Jesus' story? How do they react Luke tells us at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, there are notorious sinners, whatever that means. The bad guys are there. How are they reacting to the story? Maybe most importantly, what is life like for the younger brother, right? Like, think about it. He just spent his entire inheritance. He has no job. He came home. What's he going to do? Like, is he going to get half of the older brother's money now too? Like, okay, I get it. But Luke and Jesus don't really give us any of these. There is no second story second season to the story of the prodigal son. But I do think the story of scripture, the entire Bible helps us answer this question. What is life like for the younger brother when the party's over? And that's what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you to join me on a quick journey through the pages of scripture. So we're going to talk about a lot of scripture. If you're really fast at looking them up, that's great. If not, they'll all be on the screen for you. But the bottom line the spoiler question of what does life look like? Life after the party is about investing in relationships that invite others to experience true hope and love. 
Life after the party is about investing in relationships that invite others to experience true hope and love. How do I know that? If you've got your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 10, verse 10. This is Jesus talking again to another group of people later on in the Gospels. And in the middle of this kind of story he's telling, he says this. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. If you skip to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, Peter there says, this is one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of the inner threes following Jesus. He says, cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Those three verses are packed with what life looks like and the life that God wants us to have. First, think about the thief and the wannabe lion. That's what I love about this first Peter passage. He's like a lion, but he's not really a lion. They steal, they kill, they destroy, they devour. When I think about the story of the prodigal son, that's what I think the enemy did to him. Here he is living at home with his father, he has everything he wants, but it's not enough. So he goes out and does life his way, and he ends up homeless, sitting in a pig field, thinking about eating pig food, broken he comes back to a father who loves him. He comes back to a father who has a rich and satisfying life. A father who says, take all your worries, all your anxieties, all your stresses of life and give them to me. Let me hold them. That's the life I have for you. Not just eternal life, but a rich and satisfying life here, today, on earth. And I think we experience that rich and satisfying life by investing in three different kinds of relationships. I'm going to use Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to kind of make that case. Acts 2, 42 comes after Jesus has lived, he's died on the cross, he's risen from the grave, he's told the disciples what he wants them to do, the Holy Spirit has come at the beginning of Acts, and this is like the beginning of the church, right? Peter just preached a sermon. The one I go back to, I'm still envious of. 3,000 people one day accepted Jesus. I'm like, good job, Peter. I want to do that one day. I think that'd be awesome. But, and then the church is formed. And this, Acts 2, 42 through 47, gives us a picture of what the church looked like. And it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. The deep sense of awe came over them, and all the apostles performed miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their possession, property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, 
all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The first relationship I think we have to invest in is a personal, individual relationship with God. Did you catch that in Acts 2.42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is what we would call the Bible today. They devoted themselves to that. The best way for us to have a personal relationship with God is to read his word. It's where he tells us about who he is. He tells us who we are. He tells us how we're supposed to live. For our third graders, we tell them that the Bible is God's love letter to them. This is God's letter telling you how much he loves you. Now I want you to think for a minute. Think about your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your life partner. Imagine they wrote you a letter, a love letter. I'll put myself on the spot. Imagine Corey wrote me a love letter, and I brought it to Zach. And I said, hey, Zach, Corey wrote me this letter. Would you read it to me on Sunday morning in the sanctuary with everybody else around? Just read it to me. And then I'm going to put it back in an envelope, and I'll put it back on the shelf. And next Sunday, would you read it to me again? Right? Like, that's ridiculous. None of us would ever do that. You're like, Jason, that doesn't even make sense. And yet, we say this is God's love letter, and how often, if we're honest, is that exactly what we do? I say, hey, would, would somebody else remind me again once a week how much God loves me? The church in Acts was devoted to studying Scripture. The psalmist in the Old Testament writes these words, How sweet your words taste to me, they are sweeter than honey. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in the South. There might be nothing better than a fresh, hot biscuit with a little bit of butter just smothered in honey. So sweet, so tasty. Is that how we think of God's Word? Is it that? Can we feel it? Can we experience it like that? He says just a couple verses later in Psalms, I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. Do we look to God's word to find our hope in the midst of life's storms? He says, I lie awake in the next verse through the night thinking about your promises. If I'm honest, people come to me and say, you know, I just, I don't know if God loves me. I can't believe he would. I know what I've done. I don't feel God's presence. He's not talking to me anymore. And normally at some point, I try to direct them back to scripture. And I try to gently ask the question, have you been reading the Bible at all? Not as a legalistic thing, not as like a, hey, check, check your box, read your Bible. Jesus will love you if you read your Bible. No, Jesus does love you. Read your Bible so you can be reminded of how much he loves you. As we read scripture every day, or however often you read it, I hope you are reminded of who God is. The loving creator, 
who designed and knit you together. But I hope you're reminded of who God says you are. And then I hope those two things combined to tell us what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live. And I hope that those times spent reading Scripture inform our prayer. See, because a relationship with God, I get to know God by reading His Word. I think it's the best way we get to know God. But then I get to talk back to Him. I can say, God, thank you for what you've reminded me. I need this. Or God, help me do this. But we get to have a dialogue as He speaks through the truth of His Word, and we speak to Him through prayer. Our prayer times are enriched as we do that. Let me challenge you this week. Maybe you need to set a reminder. Some of you might have reminders on your phone of when the next season of your favorite show comes out. I know that the next episode of Mandalorian comes out on Thursday night. But do we have reminders in our phones to read God's word? The second thing, it's not just about investing in a single individual relationship. It's about investing this life, this rich and satisfying life that God has for us is about investing in a group relationship. Did you catch that in Acts 2? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. They worshiped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, at least we don't have to listen to Jason talk seven days a week. But that's what they did. That's what it looked like to live life together for them, to be in worship. And here at Calvary, we believe that in order to have a growing relationship with Jesus, you need to be in a group. Every single one of us needs to be in a group. We've created a thing we call the growth track. It's four steps that we think will help you be in a growing relationship with Jesus. It's about worship. It's about groups. It's about serving. And it's about giving. That's the growth track. And that part of groups are so important because as you come on Sunday mornings, you get to listen to us talk. But it's not like Q&A, you can't raise your hand. I mean, maybe if you're in the group chat, you can ask questions along the way or interact along the way. You should ask those guys really deep theological questions right now if you're asking online and let's see what the answers come up. But for those of us in the room and honestly, if face-to-face are having honest conversations, we don't get to ask those questions. But maybe I say something you disagree with. Or maybe I said something that makes you have some questions you want to follow up with further. Or maybe you want to read more of the verses around what we're reading in the service. That's what small groups do. They give you a place to interact and to wrestle with that. And maybe in a a global time of isolation like we haven't ever felt before, the thing groups do is they give us a place to belong. They give us a place where we feel like maybe we're not alone. There is still somebody, even seeing them on a screen or if we feel comfortable enough, being in their living room. And we can be in relationship with each other. It's important to be in those relationships. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says this in Galatians 2. 
Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. And I just love the way Paul writes. Verse 3 of that says, If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. I don't know if you need that reminder every once in a while or not, but I do. I'm not that important. The things on my agenda are not that important. Walking alongside of other people is what's important. You heard me talk, some of you, two weeks ago about the small group I was a part of in St. Louis that really kind of helped rebuild my faith and rebuild my life. That wasn't just what they did for me. In the course of three years in that group, we helped multiple people, walked with them through prayer, searching scripture, figure out what a job transition looked like that included moves across the country. We walked with two couples through a porn addiction that was tearing their relationship apart. But when we invite ourselves into a group where we can belong, where we can begin to talk about the junk in each and every one of our lives, we can heal. We can be made better. We can be reminded that God loves us no matter what we've done. We walked with a family who lost an infant. We sat with them. We cried angry prayers with them. Because when you lose an infant, there's no good answer why. But you need people who will pray when you can't pray. Who will be there to support and love you who will be angry with you, who will cry with you, who will hold you. And my coworker at Starbucks, who we used to meet every morning at 5 a.m. and rip on the church, actually ended up coming to that small group with me, then brought her boyfriend. They got married. They moved to Colorado, and they're still in church today. They're still walking with Jesus today because of that small group. Groups are powerful, powerful places for us to come and heal and to be and to experience belonging. Church, we have an opportunity to win in ways that nothing else can when we invite people in to relationship and to feel like they belong. And lastly, we need to invest in ministry relationships. This new life that God has called us to live is not about us. It's a new life that we're called to live so that we can love and share the hope and love that we've experienced with those around us. Maybe that's no more clearly seen than in Jeff's story from the book Finding Your Way Back to God that this whole sermon series is based off of. Jeff was your typical high school kid, goes to church, goes to youth group. He knew all the rules. He knew all the things he was supposed to do to keep him on the straight and narrow. But one night in high school, Jeff and a bunch of his friends decided they were going to go find heroin, and they were going to try it and see what it was like for the first time. And while they were out walking around, they saw this tent with a big sign on it that says, Jesus is the answer. Jeff thought to himself, I've tried that answer before and I didn't like it. I want a different answer tonight. So Jeff and his friends kept searching 
They never did find heroin that night, but they found plenty of alcohol and other things. And as Jeff crawled into his room a few hours later, he cried out, God, I don't know who you are or where you are or if you're even real, but change my life. And Jeff passed out on the floor. That next morning, Jeff woke up He said something felt different. And his mom said, would you like to go to the tent meeting where they had the sign that said, Jesus is the answer? And he said, sure, why not? And so he went. And the preacher there said, in the words of Jesus, if you're trying to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The preacher then gave an altar call, inviting people to come down and follow Jesus. Jeff said he felt like in his mind, God said to him, it's now or never, Jeff. And Jeff went down. And that's a story we've heard before, but I think the end of Jeff's story is what's amazing. Two days later, Jeff sells everything he has, moves to St. Louis. I lived there for 12 and a half years. It's a great city. I don't know if I'd sell everything I have to move there. But he goes there to minister to people on the streets who are homeless. And there, while there, he meets a missionary. And two weeks into that time in St. Louis, the missionary uh, asks him if he wants to go to the Philippines on a short-term mission trip. Jeff went. It's been 30 years now that Jeff has been in the Philippines ministering to those folks. Jeff started a nonprofit, which includes a school, a prison ministry, hospital visitation program, a mission that rescues children off the streets, networks of new churches, and several economic developments. Jeff's greatest passion, though, is to rescue the millions of children living on the streets of the Philippines, many with nothing to eat and only the clothes on their backs. When asked what his dream now is after 30 years in the Philippines, Jeff said, I'd like to get every homeless kid off the streets of the Philippines. How many kids is that? About three million. How do you respond when someone says that's impossible? Jeff says, maybe it is, but nobody's ever tried. How about us? What can you do to participate in God's work of loving the world? What can we do to participate in God's work of loving the world? Paul again says in 2 Corinthians, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. It's like the father sitting at the road waiting for his prodigal son to come home. Just come back. Church, this is our mission. We're not called to be in groups and get fat spiritually, to just keep taking in and taking in and taking in and taking in and be in another Bible study and be in another Bible study and read more scripture and come to more worship services. 
That'll do the same thing for you spiritually that sitting on your couch eating potato chips and pizza will do for you physically. It just makes you fat. We're called to take that love in, take that hope in that we've received and share it with those around us. And I hope you see this all through our five-year vision here at Calvary. No hurdles to hope. We want to fight for the dignity of all people and worth of all people. We want to stand for justice. We want to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. We don't want anything to stop people from coming back to God. To understand that God is waiting for them with arms wide open. No one left alone. It's not just about getting in a group and finding a place to belong. It's about our neighbors. How many of us have a widowed neighbor living next door, whose maybe kids live out of town, and is anybody checking on them? Do they know that we are caring for them, that we do care for them, that we're willing to help them? What about the young kids who right now might be being at home five days a week with parents who have to work two jobs? How can we check in on them to love them well? to show them who Jesus is. You know, the best way for someone to know God is to know somebody who knows God. The best way for somebody to know God is to know someone who knows God. And if we know God, who do we know who doesn't? And how are we sharing the hope and the love that we've received with them? We have an opportunity to share that hope. To scream as Paul screams, come back to God. He loves you. My prayer for each and every one of us as we wrap up this series and some of us begin this new life for the first time or some of us are cycling back through and have been reminded of the life that God's called us to is that this new life is about investing in relationships and inviting others to experience true hope and love. The truth is, the life we live is a life lived in cycles. Every one of us will forget at some point or need to be reminded at some point that our deepest longings won't be satisfied until we find our way back to God. We need to remember that no matter how far you've wandered, we can still come home. God's still waiting. There's nothing you've done that he can't forgive or won't forgive. We need to trust that in our moments of deepest pain, God's love will shine brightest. And then we can rejoice that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us as we are, not as we're supposed to be. So this week, as we head out with the challenge to live this new life, a rich and satisfying life, I have a couple action steps I want you to think about. Maybe you don't read the Bible on a regular basis. Maybe you're intimidated by it. You're like, that's 66 books. That's the thickest book I've ever read. I could never read the whole Bible. I want to challenge you to start with the Gospel of Luke. And as you read that, I want you to answer three questions. You can read as little or as much as you want every day, but I want you to answer these three questions. As you do it, you can write down the answers. You can do it in your mind. Nobody's going to make you turn it in. What's this Bible, what does this passage teach me about who God is? 
What's it teach me about who God says I am? And question three, what are you going to do about it? What's it teach me about who God is? What's it teach me about who God says I am? And what am I going to do about it? Maybe your next step is to join a group. Maybe you've been sitting for a while. Maybe you've got junk in your life and you're like, I would love to have somebody who I really believed loved me that could help me through this, that could pray with me, that could support me. I feel alone. I'm going to... We have groups with spaces online or in person, whatever you feel comfortable with, that would love to welcome you in. You can find out more about those at calvary.org forward slash groups. What will a relationship of ministry look like for you? Challenge three. What's it look like when you think about loving your neighbor? What's it look like to get involved, and to give back because of what God's given to you. Maybe you've got a community group that you know you could help. You could call your local school. And if you need help finding ways to serve, calvary.org forward slash serve. We would love to get you connected with an organization where you could serve. And if you're not quite ready for that today, maybe your action step is simply to pray this prayer. God, if you are real, awaken in me, the confidence that I can live a brand new life. God, if you are real, awaken in me the confidence that I can live a brand new life. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here today, to be reminded of your love for us, to be reminded of the way that you Welcome us home no matter what we've done or where we've been. God, we thank you that you have come so that we can have life and life to the fullest. God, give us faith to believe that so we can live that for those around us. God, give us courage to live lives of hope and love for our neighbors. And God, may we show them how much you love them. And may their lives change for eternity, but for now. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.